You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. We're going to be in Psalm 15 tonight, and after we do Psalm 15, we got some a little bit of church business to finish up tonight, and we'll do that, and then we'll have um, prayer time. Uh, before I get into this, just and I know Jeff will mention this as well, uh, but don't forget to pray for the Yates. Um, Jeff can give you the details, but the funeral is this Saturday. We got another hand over here. Some sheets. Anybody, hold your hand if you need a sheet. Uh, oh, way over here. Linda, you, you got some work to do. You got some, yeah, yeah. Just keep, yeah. I hope you wore your walking shoes. Uh, yeah, so coming around. Um, but uh, uh, Polly Yates' funeral will be this Saturday, so just continue to pray for Wes and uh, Nathan. She passed away a week ago, this uh, past Wednesday night. And uh, if you know the Yates, you know all that their family has gone through through the years. Uh, Wes was a longtime staff member here. At First Baptist, and so a heart goes out to them. Just be praying for for Wes and Nathan and um, the services uh, which will be on this um, Saturday. All right, Psalm 15. Anybody else need one? Just slip your hand up. You missed Ted over here. I think everybody else is good to go. Anybody else over here? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. You've earned your money tonight. Good job. All right. Good deal. Good deal. On Wednesday nights, we are working our way through the Psalms, just one Psalm per week. We've made it to Psalm 15, one of the more well-known uh, Psalms. As you read this, some of it will probably sound, sound familiar to you, even if you haven't studied the Psalms in some time, because there are some phrases here which kind of stick in our heart and in our um, mind. Um, so look there, Psalm 15, I'm going to read it and want to pray, then make some comments and walk through it uh, together. It's not a very long Psalm. Uh, It's five verses, but it says there, a psalm of David. Uh, So we know who the author was uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then it says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? I'll show you in a minute why those are very important questions. Then it says in verse 2, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. And speaks truth in his heart, and does not slander with his tongue, and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent, who he who does these things shall never be moved. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your grace. Lord, your unmerited favor, you are so good to us. You pour out your favor and your blessing and your provision upon us, and we are unworthy. It's only because of the shed blood of Christ that we can have this relationship with you. It's only because of the the imputed righteousness of Christ that we can stand before you and experience calling you Father and experience you as friend. And so we're so grateful for what Jesus has done, his death, his burial, his resurrection that makes this relationship with you available. And we're so grateful that you are better to us than we deserve. And we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory, 
we pause in this moment to ask for your help. Uh, Lord, your word reminds us in John 15, 5, that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, God, I pray that you would draw near to us by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us insight, understanding into your word, that we might digest this passage in a way that brings life change. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Psalm 15. Uh, There's a summary of the Psalms written at the top of your sheet. I love these two summaries. One comes from Kendall Easley where he reminds us that the theme of the Psalms is this. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. God can be trusted and God should be praised no matter what you're going through in your life. And then John Piper picks up on the reason that you and I love the Psalms so much. I've, I've never come across anybody that names the name of Christ and says, I just don't like the Psalms. I just don't enjoy them at all. Uh, the, the Psalms connect with us at a certain level. And, and here's why. Piper says, the Psalms are songs. It's a hymn book. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. The fact that we have the book of Psalms is God's way of saying that our emotions are a big deal and should be shaped by the Lord. And so this psalm, Psalm 15, is about closeness or fellowship to God. That's why I've used an old hymn title as the title of this uh, talk, Nearer My God to Thee. That's what Psalm 15 is all about. And there's just three basic uh, headings or aspects of the psalm that I want you to see. First of all, there is a question that is asked, and it's found there, actually two questions, found there in verse 1, where David says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Now, what's David referring to when he refers to a tent? He's referring here to the the tabernacle, uh, the structure that was built to house the holy place in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would reside, where the uh, in the holy place where the table of uh, showbread and the altar of incense, the lampstand would reside. The priest would function there in uh, that structure, the tabernacle, which housed the Ark of the Covenant. And when God would meet with his people, he would manifest his presence in a Shekinah glory cloud over the Ark of the Covenant. So the, the, the tent uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was housed uh, symbolizes the presence of God. Now, the tent uh, or tabernacle for a long time in Israel's history was not in Jerusalem. It was in Shiloh. And then after a battle with the Philistines, the Philistines took control of the Ark of the Covenant. For a while, the Ark of the Covenant uh, resided in Kiriath-Jerim when the Philistines sent it back because God sent curses on them. And then David decided he wanted the Ark to go from Kiriath-Jerim back to Jerusalem, to the, the capital city. And he wanted a permanent structure. He wanted to, to transition from a tabernacle to a temple, a, a, a building with with bricks and mortar to, to be a permanent housing for the Ark of the Covenant. And so we see that David led in leading the Ark of the Covenant from Kiriath-Jerim back to Jerusalem. He didn't build the temple. His son Solomon built the temple. But this probably refers to the fact that the tent was outside of Jerusalem, but under his leadership the tent came to Jerusalem. That's what he means when he says, Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He's talking there about Mount 
Zion. So if you look there in your notes, the tent and the holy hill refer to the places where God's glory dwelt among his people. It symbolized God being with his people. It was the centerpiece of worship uh, for the Hebrew people. And so the tent and the holy hill represent his presence, God's presence among his uh, people. And David, as you read the Psalms, David was a, a, a man after God's own heart. wasn't perfect, of course. He had his uh, shortcomings, and he made some big, big mistakes. But he was a man after God's own heart, and he desired the presence of God. He desired to be close to God, to be in proximity um, to God. So if you look there in your notes, David desired that, to be close to God. And so when he asked these questions, O oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? These are questions of fellowship or closeness to God, not relationship. Because he's going to give us some answers to the question. There are some characteristics of those who enjoy fellowship with God. The, the next four verses are not a list of requirements to be saved. They are characteristics of those who are saved. And as those characteristics grow, then we experience closeness to God in ever-deepening um, ways. And so when he says, Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He's basically saying, listen to this, How must we live to enjoy the fullness of fellowship with God? Let me ask that again. How, sh- how should we live if we're going to enjoy the fullness of fellowship with God? There are people who are saved, born again, sins washed away by the blood of Christ, on their way to heaven, but they do not experience the reality or the fullness of an ever-deepening fellowship or closeness to God. They have a relationship which will never be broken, but they don't have close fellowship. And David here is talking about that fellowship. Wearsby writes this, It's important to note that Psalm 15 is not a prescription for being saved, but a description of how saved people ought to live if they want to please God and and have fellowship with Him. David asked this question because he loved the house of the Lord and desired in his heart to know God better and fellowship with Him in a deeper way. So the question is, who gets to be close to God? Who gets to enjoy the fullness of fellowship with God? That's the question. So what's the answer? Who gets to experience this? Well, the answer, this is your second um, aspect in your notes. The answer is this. David lists some representative characteristics of those who enjoy closeness to God. There are three characteristics here in summary format that uh, really help us to understand the way we ought to live if we want to be closer and closer to God. The first blank there is character. The first characteristic deals with character. Look what he says there in verse 2. Who gets to sojourn in your tent? Who, who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who gets to be close to you, God, to enjoy your presence? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Verse 4, he says this kind of person... Uh, in his eyes, a vile person is despised, but he, but, but those who honor, uh, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He's talking here about character. The word "blameless" there, or "blamelessly" in verse two, refers to one whose character is morally well-rounded. He's talking to a, a character that is that is growing into 
Christ's likeness. I want to say this. I want to be very, very clear because we need to hear just kind of simple truth these days. And and here's the, the, the statement. You ready? Character matters to God. Character matters to God. And he's speaking here of someone who is morally well-rounded. Someone who, who, who uh, has a, a Christ-likeness in their inmost being that, that, that produces an integrity, a, a, a wholeness, a soundness of person, character. And this kind of person knows who to admire and who to avoid. Verse 4, it says, The vile person is despised, and those who fear the Lord is honored by this kind of person. In other words, someone with character knows who to admire and knows who to stay away from because they, are, they would be dragged down by those kind of people. And so that's a person of character. And just kind of parenthetically, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but just parenthetically... Uh, you and I need to, we need to make sure we have good and godly heroes. Now, we need to be careful with this because people are people, right? And there's no perfect person. Uh, people will let you down. Uh, people have their weaknesses and they make mistakes. And so you, you can't put someone on a pedestal uh, to the extent where they become an idol in your life. But you can look at someone's life, someone that's pursuing Jesus someone that's exemplifying Christ's likeness, someone that's making a difference for the kingdom, you can look at them and say, boy, I see something in them that I would love to live out. I see something in their life that I want to emulate. And, and their life inspires me towards that. So we, we need uh, godly heroes. That's one of the reasons that I love reading biographies so much, a lot of the biographies I read are about dead people, um, and, and specifically dead believers in the past, dead Christians who lived a life of, of, of fierce Christ-likeness, who really made a difference with their lives. Not perfect, but I, I love being inspired by people who took God at His word and lived fully for His glory. And we need good and godly heroes. And let me just kind of make another little parenthetical statement on top of this. This is for parents and grandparents, okay? You, everybody listening? We need to teach our children who to admire. We need to help our children to find the right heroes. Because I promise you this, if we don't, the culture is going to put forth people to be, to be, uh, to be emulated, to be admired. And, and the culture is going to try to get our kids to have the kind of heroes that don't fear God. And so you and I, we need to be intentional about this. Maybe pointing out uh, great Christians from the past or somebody we see in today's world that is living boldly for the Lord or even pointing out someone in your church family. You see someone is just serving Jesus and humbly walking with Him and, and, and just directing your kids to that person's life because our kids, our grandkids, they need good and godly heroes. They need that. And, and the, the, the person who's growing in Christ-like character can, can see a vile person for what they are. They, they do not fear God. But this person over here, they do fear God. They should be honored. And so he speaks here of character. But secondly, the answer to the question, who gets to draw closer and closer to God? Not only a person of character, but a person of right conduct. Conduct. That's that second blank under number two. 
What he means by conduct is this. He does what is right. He does the right thing. Verse 2. He who walks blamelessly, and it just says it in four uh, simple words, this kind of person that draws close to God, that enjoys fellowship with God, does what is what? Right. He does the right thing. He acts the right way. He, he makes decisions that are in line with God's word and God's way. He fears the Lord. He does right. That's conduct. Not just lip service for what you believe, but you're actually living it out. Also, this kind of person that enjoys closeness with God does no harm to neighbors or friends. Look in verse 3. He does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. And so this kind of person, a godly person that enjoys walking closely with Jesus, is a person that treats other people right. Doesn't harm other people, doesn't hurt other people. Uh, he is a person that does good and, and, and blesses other uh, people. Also, when we think of conduct, this kind of person does not use or get money wrongly. You know, money gets a lot of people in trouble. And look what it says in verse 5. He does not put out his money at interest. In other words, if he, if he, if he helps somebody, he's not holding it over their head. He's, he helps them to help them because it's the right thing to do. does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Someone that loves money more than God will do the wrong thing related to money to get ahead. Because money is their God. And the person that walks with Christ, the person that enjoys close fellowship with God, has the right perspective on money and doesn't allow money to get them into a compromising situation where they do the wrong thing. He does not use or get money wrongly. So this answer is character and conduct, but third is conversation. What comes from his lips? Notice, he does not use his tongue for slander. Look in verse 3. This person does not slander with his tongue. That's a pretty, again, clear statement about his speech. And it says there, does no evil to his neighbor. Or nor, now look at this. Nor takes up a reproach against his friend. If you, if you compare that word repro reproach to the, the tongue that's mentioned there at the beginning of verse 3, it gives you some interesting um, insight. It means he does not speak derisively of his neighbor or of his friends. And that word reproach there in verse 3 means ridicule, mockery, or derision. So it means there that the godly person that walks closely with the Lord doesn't use their mouth to, to mock, to ridicule, to deride, to tear down. That's not how they use their mouth. In fact, this same word translated reproach in verse 3, listen to this, is used six times in 1 Samuel 17, and it's used in reference to Goliath, the giant that David killed with a sling and a stone. The giant, he, he used this word reproach, or he, he practiced reproach by blaspheming Israel and Israel's God. Six times in chapter 17, Goliath is guilty of reproach, using his words in an, an ungodly way to tear down. So when somebody begins to use their tongue to reproach others, you know who they're, they're acting like? They're acting like Goliath. They're acting like the enemy of God's people. They're, they're tearing other people down. 
And the person who lives in close fellowship with God doesn't act like Goliath. Can I get an amen on that? So, conversation. He does not use his tongue for slander. And I love this. His word is his bond. Look in verse 4. It says, In his eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. And this kind of person, watch this, swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, if he tells you he's going to do something, if if he enters into an agreement, he's going to keep his word, even if it hurts to keep his word. Warren Wiersbe says, Truth is the cement that holds society together. If people can get away with lies, then every promise, agreement, oath, pledge, and contract is immediately destroyed. If we don't have truth, we really have nothing, and we disintegrate as a society, which in large measure is what you see happening around us today. We need people who speak the truth and keep the truth. As I was studying this, I thought about Mr. Bill Thompson. Mr. Bill was a member of my last church. Um, I preached his funeral uh, just a dear, uh, dear man of God, uh, served the Lord faithfully in the church. And Mr. Bill told me many, many times, he said, uh, when I was younger, he said, I made a vow to the Lord. And I said, well, what was the, the vow, Mr. Bill? He said, I vowed to God. And he knew, he knew Ecclesiastes 5, you don't enter into a vow lightly. you got to think through it and be serious about it because you'd rather... Uh, You'd rather not even make a vow than make a vow and break it. But he said, I made a vow that I would read the Bible every day. Every day. He said, I didn't say how much, but I just said I would read the Bible, at least something, every day. And he said, I can't tell you how many times, Pastor Wade, I got into bed to go to sleep and I was tired and I thought about that vow. I told God I was going to read the Bible. He said, I'd get out of bed. And I'd go get my Bible, and I'd sit down, I'd read some scripture, and then go back to bed. He, he kept the vow even to his own hurt. Even when he was tired and didn't feel like it, he made the vow, the agreement with God. I thought about that when I read this passage, that he swears to his own hurt and does not change. I can just tell you this. Uh, when I preached Mr. Bill's funeral, his, his wife uh, gave me his Bible to look at, and it was it was well worn notes in the margin, underlined highlights, and it reminded him of the old adage that when when you see a, a Bible that's falling apart, it probably belongs to someone whose life is not falling apart. He was a godly man because he loved the Word, and he made that vow, and he kept that. Vow. And so we see in this passage a question, who gets to draw close in fellowship to God? The answer, people of godly character, people of godly conduct, people of godly conversation. But then it closes in verse 5 with a promise. Look what it says in verse 5. He who does these things shall never be moved. He who does these things shall never be moved. The godly, those who walk with God, that draw close to God, that enjoy fellowship with God... The godly are promised stability and security. Stability and security. It reminds me of Matthew 7 where Jesus said, If you hear my word and keep it, you're like the wise man that built his house upon the rock. The wind came, the waves came, but the house was not washed away because it was built on a firm foundation. And when we live lives of Christ-like character and Christ-like conduct and Christ-like conversation... We are, we are building our lives on something that is stable. And it says there, they, they shall never be moved. Stability and security. 
Now, you might, as you go through this list, you might see some areas where you fall short. I certainly do. Has anybody in here ever kept this list perfectly? Would anybody say, hey, Psalm 15, I've knocked that out of the park, Pastor Wade. I've got it. Got it down. My conduct, character, conversation have just been rocking lately. Anybody say that? Anybody? We'd all say, oh, my boy, it's a, it's a tough list, right? But here's the good news. When it comes to keeping God's commandments, we've all blown it. Can I get an amen on that? We've all done things that, that we shouldn't have done, and we've all not done some things God's told us to do. None of us has a perfect record, which makes Jesus such a big deal. You see, Jesus came to this earth, and he scored perfect on the test of life. His conduct, his character, conversation, perfect. He never disobeyed God or dishonored God. When it comes to the test of life, he scored 100. Perfect. And then he looked at all of us and saw our failure, and so he went to the cross, and he died for our imperfection. He took the penalty for the the ways that we have blown it. He died for our sins. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. So he scored a perfect score on his test, and he died for those who fell short. That's you and me. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might, listen, we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, when you ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, he gives you his perfect score. He gives you his righteousness as a gift. And that is your position before God. So positionally, we've lived this out perfectly. Because Jesus lived it out for us and gave us his righteousness as a gift. Now, what we want to see happen is by the power of the Spirit, we want our our daily practice to come in greater and greater conformity to our position in Christ. That makes sense? And as that happens, as we begin to look more and more like Jesus, we walk with him and talk with him. He changes us from the inside out. We experience, watch this, closer and closer intimacy with God. But even when we blow it, Even we have a day where our life doesn't look much like Psalm 15. We're still stable and secure because Jesus died for those failures. Amen? We're still in his grip. So we're not not trying to to change and be different so we can impress God or or have God accept us. He's He's already accepted us in Christ. We want to live like this to honor him for what he's done for us and so that we can know him better and know him more. That's why Psalm 15 is so important. Do you have that desire that David had? Oh God, who gets to, who gets to abide and dwell at the holy place? Who gets to hang out in your presence on the, on the hill? Who gets to be near to you, the person, Christ-like character and conduct in conversation. But remember, you're always, always, always in his grip. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.